Welcome back to Crossing the Jordan, everybody. I pray that you're doing wonderful and living in the presence of God, being filled with the Holy Spirit and living in joy, living in the joy of Jesus. I've been really just wowed that Jesus says that he speaks these words about abiding in the Father and he and us and we and the Father and the Father and us, that he speaks these words to us so that his joy, his joy might be in us and our joy may be full. So he speaks these words to us so that we may be filled with his joy. And so, Welcome back. I know we've been a little inconsistent with the timing of the episodes lately. We're going to try to get back on track with this. But today, we continue our topic of salvation, series number 18 of salvation, and this is episode 27 of this series. And today is about this question that the that was asked to Jesus, Lord, will those who are saved be few? This is all about the number of people who will be saved because there are a wide variety of beliefs on this and we're going to talk about what Jesus and scripture clearly teaches about the number of people who will be saved. And so let's first start off like we always do by going through the series of salvation number 18 on where we've been is in order to see how uh, where we're at now and where we're going. We only have like four episodes left after this. And I know it's been a long series, but praise you, Jesus. I hope it's been good. And so uh, this topic of, of salvation in series 18, we've talked about the gospel. We talked about why Jesus or why is God on the cross. We talked about Jesus coming to restore right order and right relationship. We, ca- we talked about tasting and seeing uh, a personal experience of Jesus' love for us. We talked about grace. We talked about faith. We talked about love. We talked about our consciences and how can it accuse or excuse us. We talked about heaven, hell, purgatory, the question, are you saved? And it being a uh, uh, an event in the past, in the present, and in the future. We talked about free will, predestination, and the sovereignty of God. We talked about sin. We talked about penance and mortification. We talked about indulgences. We talked about suffering. We talked about the devil. We talked about our advocate, the Holy Spirit. We talked about how God's work and his superabundant love is entirely for you, that he's, he needs nothing for us, and that's, that's actually entirely good news because he's given us everything in order for us to be filled with everything, which is the, his uh, very life, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and perfect communion and love and truth. And the last episode was the Father did not abandon or pour out his wrath on Jesus. And uh, that last episode, Jesus became sin. He entered into our sins. He took on our sin. He felt every single sin ever committed physically, spiritually, emotionally. And yet Abba and the Spirit were with him in the mission and God's love is greater than the sins of the world. And God does not abandon you. And even in the midst of the most horrible, horrific darkness that we see on the cross, it was precisely then that God's light poured forth even brighter. And so uh, that is where we've been. And now uh, just to give you kind of like a sneak peek This episode, we'll only have like four more episodes after this on this series of salvation. And I plan on doing right after this one, No Salvation Outside the Church. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the, we'll talk about the Antichrist and the Mark of the Beast. We'll talk about the end times or the rapture. And then the last one, we'll talk about what's the point of all this? What's the point of Christianity? What's the point of life? And so today's episode is uh, episode 27, series 18 on Lord Will those who will be saved be few? And so there's a wide range of views of this. And so we're going to talk about some things, just recap some things that we talked about in the past. So there are a range of views of how many people will be saved. Some believe that everybody will be saved, known as universalism, or nearly everybody will be saved. 
And then there's others that believe that there's predestination, that God assigns you your final destination. So even those who aren't saved, they're actually predestined. Like God put them there, <laughs> put them in hell. And so, uh, and then there's other views of that there will only be 144,000 saved. That's a primary, uh, primarily a view of the Jehovah's Witnesses. And then there are other views where Jesus only came for the Jews. We see that with like people with like the Hebrew Israelites. And so we're going to talk about each of those briefly, and then we'll talk about how Jesus and Scripture clearly communicate that Jesus died and desires for every single person to live in union with him. And it is our decision. Are we going to make a decision to respond to his love and uh, allow his, his life to become ours, which is the fullness of joy. When people think of, I'm, I'm going to be going off on a tangent here for a second, but when people think, including myself in the past, where people are like, dang, this person got to live a life full of partying and like they got to do all these crazy things or even the people who've done like horrible things, but then they come to be a believer like right before they died. And they're like, and we're like, oh, dang. Well, they got to live a life full of sin and they got to have so much fun and, and pleasure and all that stuff. And now they get to go to heaven. <laughs> well, that is a false view of the gospel because Jesus right here and now is the fullness of life. Sin, brokenness, and division uh, and that flows from sin and our brokenness. And so living a life apart from God is not joyful. So a person, I'm, I praise the Lord for anybody who comes to Jesus even at the last moment of their, of their life. But it's also sad because they live the life fully without him. And only Jesus brings life and peace and light and truth and goodness and beauty and the joy that comes from his presence. So um, we really got to get away from that thinking. Anyhow, all right, so let's go through. So the range of views. So first one that we talked about is, is universalism. And we had a, a, an entire episode on the topic of hell that talked about universalism. And the topic of hell was discussed in episode 15 of this series. And hell is real. Hell exists. And it's a possibility that people go there and people are there now. And so hell is very real. And, and we're going to go through just a recap of that episode very briefly, though. Um, St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 and in Galatians 5, he lists uh, several things. And he says, if, if we do these things, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. So 1 Corinthians 6, St. Paul says, uh, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor robbers will inherit the kingdom of God. And again, just to be clear, these are actions, deciding to do something that's wrong. It's not talking about feelings or uh, our emotions or our things that we struggle with. We all struggle. We all have temptation. Jesus and scripture and St. Paul himself are very, very clear that we all are tempted. <laughs> and so, but will we cling, uh, will we fall into that temptation? Will we allow it to consume our lives? And so that's what St. Paul's talking about. In Galatians 5, St. Paul also says that the works of the flesh are plain, immorality, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery. And this word sorcery is actually very interesting too. It was actually, uh, it's talked about here and in Revelation. It's a, it was a potion for sorcery, abortions, and birth control. And then he says, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, dissension, party spirit. And the Greek word for party spirit is actually where we get heresy from. So believing in false teachings. 
envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And in chapter 6 of that same uh, letter in Galatians, he also says that do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he, he will also reap. So sowing is actually giving, reaping is getting a return from that. For he who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will reap will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so St. Paul is very clear that people, that hell is real, and people go there. Jesus himself talks about it. He uses the word Gehenna. And Jesus talks about the real possibility of people, of, of us going there if we do not take sin very seriously. Because sin separates us from God and can ultimately end up in a place where we are eternally separated from God, which is its which is the greatest torment. And so, take sin very seriously. Jesus himself in Matthew five talks about how even us who are call a, a brother a fool or those who look at a woman with uh, with a lustful heart, but not even doing anything, but just thinking are and uh, accepting bad thoughts about other people. Are, will be liable to Gehenna. He says in Matthew 5 that if uh, if something causes you to sin, cut it off. It'll be better for you to cut something off than to go into Gehenna. And then in Matthew 10, 28, in the, ver- in the parallel verse in Luke 12, he says, Do not fear those who can kill the body, but fear, fear who can throw body and soul into Gehenna. In Matthew thirteen forty two, he talks about the the wheat and the weeds, and the the wheat are uh, into the barn, and the weeds get thrown into the furnace. In Matthew twenty three fifteen and uh, thirty three, he talks about the scribes and Pharisees being hypocrites and making children of God, and those are sentenced to hell. He talks about in Matthew eighteen again, that if you have serious sin, cut it off, or you're going to be or will be thrown into eternal fire. Matthew 25, he talks about separating the sheep and the goats. And the primary thing that separated the sheep from the goats and the goats go into eternal fire and the sheep are into the joy of, of the Father's house are, is almsgiving. Those who either uh, gave food to the hungry, gave drink to the thirsty, visited the poor, gave clothes to the naked, all of those things because we are serving Christ in the poor. Jesus lives and abides in the poor in a special way. And then, uh, and then the apostles are very clear. We just heard from St. Paul in 1 Corinthians and in Galatians, but also he talks about in 2 Thessalonians about suffering punishment and eternal destruction. In Jude 7, he talks about eternal fire. In Revelation 14 and in 20, there's the image of the second death and of, of hell. And then in James 3, 6, he talks about how a tongue, our tongue, we can gossip. Our tongue is a fire and can set on fire, and, uh, set on fire by hell. And so sin is a participation in the life of hell already. And that results in a separation from God and can ultimately result in an eternal separation from God. And so Jesus and scripture with all the apostles are very clear that hell is real. It exists. People are there. But there is nothing to fear in Christ. There is no condemnation in Jesus. And his love, his strength, his power, his grace overcomes sin and temptation and our very weaknesses. And so it's his life in us. And so we have nothing to fear when we're in Jesus. and But we have to have Jesus, the Lord of every single part of our lives, that we turn over every single thought. We, are, we hold our thoughts captive to Christ, that we're transformed by the renewal of our minds, that it really starts with the way that we think about other people, the way that we think about life, the way that we think about uh, our hearts, and the way that we think about God. And so having Jesus, the Lord of our lives, meaning that you can have every single part 
do you want me to get up earlier do you want me what do you want me to eat what do you want me to drink what do you want me to look at what do you want me to watch even uh you know it's not that bad what would jesus say what, what does jesus well is this giving you life or is this eating away at your heart is this something that jesus talks about where he says that the cares and the anxieties of the world choke the word and it becomes unfruitful and these are things that are not a part of the the that rich soil that grows up to be uh, saved by jesus and so even christians we have to be diligent in prayer we have to be diligent with what the lord gives us and jesus himself says not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven a friend of mine just recently said that at their church they're trying uh to to do more discipleship praise be to jesus and they want to know jesus as lord and not just savior which I get it. It's uh, it's a nice thought, and but if Jesus is not our Lord, then He cannot be our Savior, because it's only through when Jesus's life, his, his every single thing that He tells us to do, that we do it, is when we overcome sin and temptation, and therefore He becomes our Savior. He is the one who saves. Even the person who goes through the in your their entire life without ever knowing Jesus, they grow up in a place that is primarily non-Christian or something but they have faith in God and their conscience tells them that whatever they're following is the truth and they're living a, a good life, even when they go, if, they make, if they're saved and they go to heaven, they're saved by Jesus. But even in, that, even in their death, Jesus becomes the Lord of their, life, their, their lives because their conscience was their, Jesus, the word, which means reason and logic. And uh, so every single truth that somebody believes is a participation in Jesus. And so this person, following the truth of their conscience, even if it's not fully formed or it's not a, an explicit faith in Jesus, but they have this implicit desire that they might not even know about, but if somebody came and proclaimed Christ to them and believed in the gospel, they could be saved. They might go to heaven and they're going to be saved by Jesus, but Jesus is going to be the Lord of their lives, <laughs> even in an implicit way, but especially through death. So Jesus cannot be our savior if he's not our lord jesus wants to be the lord of our lives and even those people even us who say lord lord didn't we prophesy in your name didn't we do many mighty works in your name didn't we do all these things in your name he's like i never knew you i never knew you (laughs) do we give jesus every single part of our lives every single small intricate part of our lives jesus wants to be the lord of it (laughs) and jesus doesn't just want to be the lord of it to lord it over us because his lordship is a one of service. <laughs> his lordship is a one of love. His lordship is the one of goodness and beauty and truth and joy. And so Jesus, he wants to be the Lord of our lives for our sake, for our good, for our, for our joy that he came to give us. Okay, so universalism, uh, there's that whole episode on the topic of hell. So the next view is those who are, are, aren't saved are even predestined. So, um, there's an entire episode on predestination, predestination and free will and the sovereignty of God was talked about in episode 18 of this series. And so um, just another recap on that one is that there's two extreme views, extreme views on predestination. One extreme is that, that they believe every single action, choice and happening, God determined them and created them and we have no choice. <laughs> so even those who go to hell and those who go to heaven, it was God who made that happen. God is sovereign, they say. And so even the people who are in hell, God made that happen. 
the and then the other extreme is that predestination doesn't exist. So, somewhere in between. Predestination is God's plan to save humanity through Jesus. So Jesus says that even before the foundation of the world, he uh, had this plan, right? So, so we are predestined to be saved by Jesus because it was a plan from the beginning of time. But it's not predestined, or in other words, without our decision, who goes to heaven or hell. God knows all things and where we will end up. He already knows that because he's outside of space and time. He sees every single moment and it's and it's eternal immediacy, meaning that he sees everything, but then he sees every single moment he, uh, all at once. And so uh, he sees all of it and he knows where we end up. But that doesn't mean that he is the one who desired us to be in a certain place. And scripture is very clear that God desires every single person to be saved. It is not his will that anybody goes to hell or is eternally separated from him. Jesus himself says in Matthew 25, 34, a kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. So predestination, his God's direct will is to save us. He prepared a place for you before the foundation of the world. But will we accept it or will we reject it? And so, uh, again, we have that entire episode on the topic of predestination. So, so the first two views that we just talked about, again, just to recap again, is universalism, that everybody will be saved, and that's not true. And then those, uh, and then predestination view of maybe that's not an, a certain number that's believed, but even the people who go to hell, it's God who put them there, or vice versa, predestination doesn't exist. Neither of those are true. So the next few topics that I want to cover are... Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that only 144,000 will have the beatific vision of God. And then the next one will be um, some people who say how Jesus only came for the Jews, such as the Hebrew Israelites. And precisely even that is that um, white people are not uh, what Jesus came to save. And Hebrew Israelites are who Jesus came to save. And the true Jews are the uh, black and brown people. So we're going to be talking about that as well. And then we'll end it off with Jesus's real desire that he clearly communicates to us. So Jehovah's Witnesses believe that 144,000 will be saved. Well, where do they get this from? In Revelation 7 and in Revelation 14, there's this image of a group of 144,000 people that will always be with the Lamb. And so they take that scripture verse and they take it literally. So that means 144,000 will actually be saved and with Jesus. And I believe that their other belief is that those who uh, lived a good life in accordance with Jehovah, but isn't a part of the 144,000, won't be with Jesus in heaven, but they'll live on this uh, uh, paradise that's on earth that will be created. That's what I understand that their belief is. So there are several issues with this, with this, uh, with this belief and with this interpretation of scripture. So first thing is that in 1935, their founder, Jane, uh, Charles Taze Russell, um, founded this, and I believe there was like a, the first initial like 9,000 people. Well, by the time that the end of their lives, there was already well above 144,000 people. So the number of Jehovah's Witnesses themselves exceed 144,000. So there's already an issue there. And then the belief that those who are not in the 144,000, but live the life uh, that is pleasing to God will live on this uh, paradise of earth. Well, that's not paradise if it's without God. 
That is the whole point of the Christian message is that God is lifting us up, will glorify humanity in his presence and have the beatific vision. So separated from him will not be paradise. When Jesus comes to create a new heavens and a new earth, it is for him to reign on us in communion with him and with each other. And the next issue with this view is that if you're going to take the 144,000 literally, well, then you need to take that entire part of scripture literally, which literally that in Revelation 7 and in Revelation 14 describes these 144,000 as male virgin Jews. Why? Because they come from the Jewish tribes. Second, because it calls in Revelation 7 the, the sons of Israel. And then in Revelation 14, refers to them as those who did not defile themselves with women. But the founder himself, and and uh, as far as we know, <laughs> that not uh, not anybody else, meets that description that's in a that's a jehovah witness because the they're not everybody's a male not everybody's a virgin and not everybody's a jew nearly everybody doesn't meet that definition and if you even think about it this way as well uh this would mean that saint peter who's not a virgin the blessed virgin virgin mary who is not a male and the jehovah's witnesses founder charles taze russell who is not a jew would not be in heaven so all of these things would put themselves in a weird position to say 144,000 people will be saved, but we ain't any of them. <laughs> and so uh, that's one issue. The second issue is that what scripture goes on to other uh, to say other than that. And so first, the 144,000 is a symbol of the new Israel, 12 by 12. So the old Israel were 12 tribes. And the new Israel, it's this multitude of every single tribe. It's the new Israel, which St. Paul it calls the church, the new Israel of Christ. And he even says to the 12 apostles that you will sit on, 12, you will sit on uh, thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So the, on the, the church is built by Jesus on, the, on Peter and the apostles. And he even calls them that, uh, St. Paul calls them that the church is, the, is built up on the prophets and the apostles. And and uh, in, in Revelation, we see the church built up that way, that the foundations and the pillars are the 12 uh, apostles' names. And they sit on these. And so the church has this beautiful image, I'm, all I'm trying to say, of the new Israel in Scripture. And so the 144,000 is representative of that, 12 times 12. But then the ne very next verse, after describing the 12,000 from each of these tribes, what does Scripture say? Revelation 7, verse 9 says this. And after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude, which no man could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and to the lamb. And similarly in Revelation 14, verse six, right after this saying about the 144,000, St. John sees another angel flying in mid-heaven with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of water. And so the very scripture verses used in Revelation of that there will only be 144,000 saved has several flaws and issues and beliefs that impact your own lives because we do not meet that literal definition but also it's the image of the new israel the new ch the the church of christ being lifted up that is filled with people from every tribe nation tongue 
because Jesus' love, his victory, his life is greater than being restricted down to a single number of 144,000 or any number for that fact. His love is super abundant and heaven is not running out of room for us. The next and the last view that I wanted to directly talk about were uh, those who believe that Jesus only came for the Jews. And I think of one particular group that's in Detroit, the Hebrew Israelites, that the Jews are uh, black or brown people and the white people are the issue, but also part and not part of God's salvation. And so it's basically uh, God wants to free everybody else from the white person. And so it becomes this very, very racist uh, and very aggressive proclamation of a false gospel and a false view. And so let's talk about this uh, briefly. So the Old Testament is filled with revelation that the Gentiles will be saved and will be part of, of God's salvation. So Jesus says salvation is from the Jews, right? So when we look at the Jewish scriptures or the Old Testament, it's filled with prophecies about the Gentiles coming to belief in the one true God. And the Gentiles is literally a word for people who are non-Jews. And then Jews looked a lot like our Middle Eastern brothers and sisters. They're Palestinian Jews. And so my wife and uh, my, uh, my family that are Chaldean, they looked much more like Jews than anybody else. <laughs> and Jesus was a Jew. And so from a skin complexion, he may have been dark, he may have been light, but he was Middle Eastern. Um, but he also was a Jew. So the Jewish scriptures are filled with these prophecies of the Gentiles becoming grafted on, these non-Jewish people. And so right from the very uh, first start that God starts creating covenants outside of what he did with Adam and Eve is with Abraham. And, it's a world, and one of the promises that he gives him is a worldwide blessing, not restricted to to a certain tribe or a certain people, but a worldwide blessing that ultimately comes through Jesus alone. And then Hosea uh, 2.23 and Hosea 1.10. Hosea says this, God says, Those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call my beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, You are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. And so there's this prophecy explicitly in Hosea. And then all the prophets uh, talk about this, um, about how Gentiles will come to, to belief and become, uh, become grafted in. And then in Psalm 22, explicitly, this is when Jesus uh, references the very first sentence of, when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As we talked about in the last episode, was the very end of that, where this worldwide, or this, uh, this extension from the into the to the gentiles that they would come and worship the one true god so the gentiles would come and be grafted into the jewish people into the jewish god and then once we get into the new testament with jesus and the apostles we look at this and it's very very clear that gentiles are included the gospel of luke and the book of acts are written by a gentile there were apostles who were Jewish and who had Jewish and uh, um, Gentile parents. Um, but yeah, the Gospel of Luke and Acts written by a Gentile. Samaritans were Israelites mixed with paganism. And Jesus came and proclaimed the gospel to the woman of Samaria and the Samaritans and those around the Sea of Galilee. And this mission of Jesus was noticed from even at his birth. 
So at his birth, non-Jewish people come, these magi from the east, they come to the, the Jewish king, the Davidic king who is just born. And then when his parents take him into the temple, Simeon, uh, the prophet Simeon, he comes in filled and led by the Holy Spirit. And he says, after he sees Jesus, he says, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So Jesus' entire mission from his birth is to extend to, to Gentiles. And then in uh, Luke four twenty-five through 27, Jesus, this is right after Jesus is baptized. And then he goes out into the wilderness and does battle with the devil after fasting. And then he enters into the synagogue in his hometown of, of Nazareth. And he says this to them. I tell you, there were many widows in Israel the day, in the days of Elijah, when the heaven, heaven was shut up for three years and six months, when there, what, when there came a great famine over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. So what is Jesus saying here? He's referring back to Old Testament prophets of Elijah and Elisha, and in both of their lifetimes, there were horrible things that were happening throughout the world and in Israel. And yet he says, neither of them were sent to Israel. They were sent to the Gentiles to heal the people who are non-Jewish people. And what are the, what's the response to the people in Nazareth as Jesus is proclaiming this? Is to try to kill him. Because Jesus himself is saying that the message of healing, the message of reconciliation, the message of, of what Jesus came to do extends beyond even the people from his own, his own hometown. And yet he goes to the places of the Gentiles as well. And then littered throughout the Gospels, Jesus heals people who are non-Jewish, Samaritans, Centurions, Romans, pagans, and Jesus heals them. And even with the Roman centurion, he refers to him and says, and says that even in Israel, he has not found such faith. And so uh, Jesus talks about in John 10, 16, that he has other sheep that are not of this fold that he came to save, that he had to bring into the fold, not just Jewish people. And then Mark 1, 38, he talks about how he must go to the people who are non-Jewish, for this is the reason that I came. In Mark 1, 38, Jesus says, and then in uh, the book of Acts, Acts 9 through 15, we see Gentiles being baptized in the Holy Spirit. They're being baptized. And then even in Acts 15, after what Peter has seen, that God is pouring out the Holy Spirit upon Gentiles and he's seeing people come to life in Jesus, being living a life full of the Holy Spirit. He dug, And people are starting to think, oh, okay, if Gentiles are coming in to this, this new faith of ours in Jesus, they need to become Jewish. They need to follow the, they need to be circumcised. They need to follow the, the Mosaic law. Well, in Acts 15 at the Council of Jerusalem, St. Peter and the church dogmatically, and that word is used, uh, dogma, in uh, Acts 16.2, I believe, it's dogmatically proclaimed that Gentiles are Christian and they do not need to observe the Mosaic ritual laws. And so Gentiles are grafted in. And St. Paul refers to himself in Ephesians 3 and in Galatians 2.8 as, as the apostle to the Gentiles. And then in Romans 11, St. Paul describes about how uh, the Gentiles would be grafted into the Jewish people. 
through the promises of God. And then in uh, Galatians 3.28, St. Paul is emphatic that we are all one in Christ Jesus. There is no Jew or Gentile. In Ephesians 2, he talks about how the, that the wall of hostility has been broken down. And that wall that he's referring to was a place within the temple that was a barrier between Jews and non-Jews. So people who believed in the Jewish and the one true God but were not Jewish, they could not pass a certain point. But Jews could go past that point. And so St. Paul says that Jesus broke down this wall of hostility because we are all one in Christ Jesus now. And lastly, I'll read from Romans 2 where St. Paul is clear that Gentiles are in, (laughs) Uh, starting in verse 6. For God will render to every man according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are are factious and do not obey the truth, but obey wickedness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who who does evil the Jew first, and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first, and also the Greek, non-Jewish. For God shows no partiality. All who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will also will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. When Gentiles who have not the law do by nature what the law requires, They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that what the law requires is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or perhaps excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. And so, Jesus came for every single person. It does not matter who you are your nationality, your background, your whatever it might be, your ethnicity, Jesus came for you. Every single person that you passed today, Jesus died for, came for, sought after. And so we will end this episode by talking about the scripture verses that's very clear that Jesus died for all and he desires for every single person to live in union with him. Not a single person does he desire or want to be lost. And this is precisely why Jesus came. In Acts 4.12, St. Peter says, There is no salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so, Jesus is the only one that can save us, and his desire is clear that he wants to save everybody. In Acts 10.35, this is Peter with Cornelius. Cornelius was a centurion who believed in God, and he was devout. But he wasn't Jewish. So Peter's trying to figure this out. And then God gives him images and dreams of, I think it's an image or a dream, with a sheet coming over and says, kill and eat and do not call something unclean that I have made. And so he's getting this revelation from God. And then as he's proclaiming the gospel, the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles. And then he says, who am I to withhold the waters of baptism from them? Baptism is powerful. And so he says in Acts 10.35, Peter says, Truly I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. In Acts 13.47, Paul and Barnabas, they're they're quoting Isaiah 49.6. It says this, For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, 
I have set you to be a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the uttermost parts of the earth. There is no part of the earth that the salvation of God, that the gospel, that uh, d- God doesn't want to reach. God wants to reach every single part, even the uttermost parts of the earth. And then in Acts 17:27, this is when St. Paul is in, in Athens and he sees the pagans and they have an altar and it says an altar to an unknown God. And, and St. Paul says this, they should seek God in the hope that they may they might feel after him and find him. Yet he is not far from each of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. He's quoting their own poets, their own literature to them, proclaiming the true God, the true gospel. And he goes into Athens, a place that is pagans, <laughs> and he proclaims the gospel to them. And he says that God is not far off from each of us. And then in 1 John 2, 2-4, through St. John says this, Jesus is expiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. His love is greater than the sins of the entire world. 1 Timothy 2, 3-6 God our Savior desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. For all. 2 Peter 3, 9 God is forbearing toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And then uh, Jesus tells that parable about going after the one lost sheep. He has a hundred sheep, one goes astray, and he leaves the 99 to go after the one. Why does he go after the one? He already has the 99. He wants all 100. So, and in fact, right after he says that in Matthew 18, in verse 14, he says, So it is not the will of my Father, who is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. Jesus goes after the one because the Father does not will, does not desire that a single one should perish. So he will leave the 99 to go get the one so that he can have all 100. 100% of the people God desires to be saved. And also in Acts 28, verse 28, St. Paul says, Let it be known to you, that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, they will listen. And he's debating with the Jews, with the Jewish leaders. And so the salvation of God, the, the gospel, the salvation that Jesus proclaimed, his mission included every single person. And our mission is to include every single person in this love story of God. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And in Mark 16, uh, Jesus says, preach the gospel to every living creature. And in Acts 1, Jesus says that you are going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So he starts small. He gets bigger and he goes to Samaria, who is that's not Jewish. It's mixed with paganism. And then to the ends of the earth. This message of salvation is to, to extend to to every single person that we know. Every single person. And Jesus, please give us the fire of your love that we would see every single person that desires and is seeking after the truth, the beauty, the goodness that is only found in you, the joy of their salvation, that you would fill them, Lord. And uh, please set our hearts on fire for every single person that we would go after the one that was created to live in communion with you and communion with love. Just as St. Paul did, Please, Jesus, give us the grace that we would become all things to all men, that we might save some, that we would stop at nothing to show your love to the world, that we would stop at nothing to show your love to every single person that you came and died for, that you gave your life for. 
And so this is the gospel, my brothers and sisters, that, that Jesus did not die just for a few <laughs> or just 144,000 or a certain ethnicity or a certain tribe or a certain nation or a certain tongue. He died for every single person, every single nation, tribe, and tongue. He desires every single person to come to the knowledge of the truth and to be saved, to live a life in the fullness of his presence that only he can bring. Life himself wants to give us life in the midst of our death. <laughs> life himself wants to give us light in the midst of our darkness. Life himself wants to fill us with truth when we are believing in lies. And he came to destroy the works of the devil, which is sin and death, so that he would destroy sin in our lives, that the power of his resurrection would be known right now in our lives, that we would say no to sin that brings death in our lives, and brokenness, and division, and hatred, and resentment, and anger. And we would live life filled with love, and joy, and peace, and communion with others. And we would live forever in communion with Jesus. We'll respond to his great love. Will we die to ourselves so that we can truly find life? Will we abide in his word so that his truth will make us free? Will we love him for who he is and not who we make him into being? We are made in his image. Let's not make him in ours. Holy Spirit, come and consume us. Convict our hearts once again of the power of the gospel, the gospel that is power, that we would proclaim it to every single person, that we would have a response, that we would have the grace of of conviction in our hearts that we would live a life in full radical love unashamed with our Lord and Savior Jesus and that we would not worry about the number <laughs> of who will be saved or who will not be but that you died for the one that every single person is not just a number but a person made in your image and likeness that is called to be conformed to your image to be divinized to be glorified to be lifted up to be fully healed and redeemed to live life for all of eternity with you in love.